In today's episode, we have a very special read-aloud of Anthony Stewart's 2105 Benediction. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. It is your host, Lazy Tail, or Anthony, bringing you guys this awesome, special episode. So today's episode is going to be a little bit long, as today is a very special event read aloud that I have for every single one of you. Today, we are going to be reading my master copy of 2105 Benediction. This is a novel I wrote just recently that has now just been released as of today for pre-order. You can pre-order your copy on Amazon by adding me, Anthony Stewart, on Amazon, or you can you can find my books on my author page. You can add my author page and add me there, and then you can follow my books as they continue to progress. Today's episode, we will be having a very special read-aloud of 2105 Benediction, my first book in the series. So, I hope you guys enjoy. Here we go. Benediction, a 2105 novel, by Anthony Stewart. Justin and his friends are your typical middle school students until an old box is found on their urban exploration containing powers of our Harnian peacekeepers. With the switch of a key, their lives turn upside down. Our friends end up in a dimension called Soliana, a place of peace and justice. A war unlike any other when Maxwell, an officer of science in the Intergalactic Secret Service, wants to find the dark keys of Arhan and the dreaded Staff of Darkness. These eleven relics will grant him the dark powers necessary to destroy Arhan and all its dimensions abroad. Our friends must use ten Arhanian time keys to stop him. Harry, a protector of the princess and her servant, must make a drastic choice that will set the fate of the dimensional world. Manipulation is Maxwell's game, but with the dark keys, he obtain. Time traveling to other dimensions isn't as fun as it sounds. First, we arrive in a small box that you would only think would fit a few people. It manages to fit all of us at the same time and send us to another world in Arhan that you'd think would only exist in a movie. We arrive a few hundred years into the future, into the year 2105. At least this is what was read on the box's time capsule. 
we were in awe of what we were seeing. Buildings older than our home worlds, flying cars as far as the eye, as the eye can see, and the bright red and yellow sunset sky. I hold Trixie's hand as we gaze from the castle to the large, spacious canyon leading just before the Fire City. I held her hand gently as we, as we took on the scenery that lay before us. I'm not originally here as a warrior. During this war, my father went missing and has been for many years. I want nothing more than to see him again. Deep in space, a large mothership is following pursuit of a dimensional galaxy of our Han. A young fox fur soldier stood aboard the observation deck, gazing upon the galaxy ahead. This fur wore a gray and black military uniform. His medals shimmer in the light on board the deck. He fixed his medal as he made his way to the door, to exit after checking on things for his commanding officer. Making his way down the hall, a few rooms down, the science sector is busy at work trying to locate the missing box and the dark keys that legends discuss. There, there are two types of keys and relics in Arhan. You have the Arhanian Time Keys, which grant its chosen family heirs, with the powers of the ten Arhanian Time Warriors, the warriors who protect Arhan from destruction and war. Their last heirs were ten thousand years before our newfound family of warriors. Their weapon of peace is a relic only used with these keys and unlocked by the first, the Arhanian Time Sword. A sword that can expel magical powers from all ten keys. The Dark Keys of Arhan were once used by the legendary Dark Mage Jinx Umbra to destroy this galaxy, but were defeated by the previous warriors 10,000 years ago. His relic was a staff that possessed the powers of removing one from existence the minute a receiver was to be pierced by it or blasted by its magical abilities. In this room, a young white fox scientist named Maxwell or Dr. Liam Aguirre, was studying these legends, hoping to find the location of these items. He worked for the Intergalactic Secret Service, a union of conquest with a dedication to destroying dimensional worlds, and Arhan was on course to be set as the next target. Where might you be hiding, my little friends? Maxwell chuckled evilly. He was reading the legends book intensely while he worked on a way to control the dark keys without causing himself harm. There was soon a knock on the door as it hissed open, while, as it hissed while sliding open. Excuse me. Two furs entered the laboratory and stood tall and proud, saluting Maxwell. One of which was a white polar bear fur. He wore a white and blue uniform and white leather boots, as his white cowboy hat marking him, ranking him as a sergeant. Oh, and his white cowboy hat ranking him as a sergeant. Excuse me. I can't see it. The other fur was a rabbit wearing all blue and black, with his black boots and blue and black cap, ranking him Admiral. Admiral Ardell, Sergeant Collins, Maxwell said as he rose from his stool and adjusted his white coat and black plastic frame glasses. I assume you bring me good news. We have located the current whereabouts of this box of yours, sir. It is located in a dimension on our haunt called Soliana. Permission to pursue? Collins asked as his smooth, in his smooth Russian voice. I should have spoke Russian. <laughs> Sir, might I suggest potential hazards of Arhan? Maxwell quietly cut off the Admiral. <clears throat> I am well aware of the dangers of Arhan. Thanks, anyway. I say we set a course to Soliana. We have ourselves a new mission. 
Chapter 1 I felt the warm rays of the sun as I slowly opened my eyes. I sit in my warm sheets trying to gather my mental bearings. I sit up and look over at my alarm clock. Oh no, I'm late, I say as I scramble out of bed and scramble to get myself dressed. I manage to trip my way out of my bedroom door to make my way downstairs into the living room. I grabbed a quick breakfast of a Pop-Tart and an Arizona iced tea and went to find my jacket. It was chilly outside and in the house considering it was in the middle of January. I frantically search for my hoodie and can't find it. The tank bus is going to be here any minute. Where is it? My anxious mind screams. I decided to give up in my search and bolt my way to the door in hopes that I make it to the bus on time. Ahem. I heard her voice as I made my way to the door to open it. Aren't you forgetting something? I turned to see my mother holding my navy blue hoodie. I found it in the dryer while trying to keep up with your sibling and their messes. Now kiss mama before you go, she said smiling. I reluctantly kissed her cheek, feeling embarrassed, and threw my hoodie on. Grabbing my backpack and with my Pop-Tart in hand, I rushed off for the bus stop. When I got to the bus stop, I noticed that Mike and Henry were already there waiting on me. I fell in line as we waited for the bus to pull up. What took you so long, bro? Did mommy stop you for a kiss or something again? Mike asked sarcastically. I understand Mike is a bit facetious at times, but sometimes he's a bit of a jerk. The bus arrived five minutes later than normal. It was a much newer model bus with with new numbers. The number in white read B23, which I assumed to be the route number and the number on the bus itself read 14865. I climbed aboard the bus and proceeded to to take my seat. I sat next to a young girl who looked to be a seventh grader. Mike and Henry sat in the back of the bus, which was only a few seats behind me. I looked around the bus noticing the lime green tape marking names with seat numbers. These names were foreign to me, so I assumed they were from other schools on the route. I turned my legs into the seat and faced forward. The bus smelled of old candy and sweaty socks. Kind of like the gym lockers I used to have last year in gym class. I dug my forepaws into my pocket and removed my silver Eclipse MP3 player to play some tunes. I listened to a lot of Three Days Grace or Avatar on the commuting bus rides to and from school. I pressed play on my device when I felt a tap on my shoulder. It was the girl sitting next to me. She had brown-red fur and was a hybrid of a wolf and griffin. Nice playlist. Is this one of those Ray-branded iPods they sell at Walmart? She asked me. It's just an MP3 player, nothing crazy fancy, I replied. I watched her reach into her pocket and remove a device from from her shorts pocket, and she showed me hers. It was purple with no screen, and it was made to look like an iPod shuffle. My mom got it for me for Christmas. She can't trust me with with a phone yet an iPhone. <laughs> she can't trust me with a phone yet, considering we were in the middle we, we were in middle school, so she gave me this instead. I assume your mom or dad is the same way towards you, she said as she continued to stare at me for a minute. I apologize for my lack of introduction. My name is Trixie. I'm just not used to having some guy or rather some fur sit here next to me. Trust me when I feel it's a it's a complete accident, she explained. I could sense something was familiar with this girl. It was as if we were going through the same thing in life, with the small with small friend circles being pushed off by others, being overlooked. Was she just like me? Was she autistic as well? 
Having autism makes my life more of a struggle than most realize. I'm the guy everyone uses for notes, though when they need to cheat on a te class test. It just, it just gets to me that very few of us have a chance to make a difference in the world. I'm Justin. It's been a pleasure meeting you. I say, hoping to make her feel better. The bus pulled up half, to, pulled up to the hallway doors and stopped at the end of the bus loop by the tech building. We heard the bus doors fling open and, hit, and hiss to life as everyone proceeded to get off the bus. I take a second to stop and look back over at Trixie, still sitting in her seat. She looked up at me, curious as to why I came back. Would you like to come join us? We're going to go hit the lunchroom and hang out before class, I say as I place my forepaw in front of her. She took a minute to look out of the bus window and see as my friend stood outside chatting and waiting on me. Tracy looked back over at me. After everyone left the, left the bus, she took my hand and I escorted her off the bus. Chapter 2 We meet up together after getting off of the bus. I figured since Trixie seemed to act kind of like myself in a few ways, I felt she needed some friends to tag alongside her. Just aiding in the, th in the first day of school blues, especially since 7th grade is the year friends begin to portray each other over dating. We decided to head up to the media center f first and hang out before the bell. We make our way down to White Halls beginning from the inside patio area. The halls were splitting off into many different directions. Coming around to where the back entrance to the front office was, we found the media center. Entering the glass doors, the media center smelled of books and cardboard boxes. We proceeded to sit down at a table. It was about 8.15 a.m. Mike pulls out a few decks of Vanguard and begins playing with Henry. We all enjoyed this game a lot, yet I was the one that got, that got those two into playing and buying the cards. I watch as they shuffle their decks and, and get set up to play. Trixie seemed interested in the game as well, and tried to get a closer look. I remove a comic book I was reading from my bag and picked up where I left off. So guys, I found an old factory a few blocks from my mom's house. What do you say we go exploring after school? I think it'll be fun. We will need to stop by the store to get the gear we need though, Mike suggested. I placed my comic book back into my bag since there was only a few minutes left before the bell would ring us to class. Yes, I think that would be fun, Trixie implied. The guys begin putting away their cards, put them back in their deck boxes. Nobody wins the, the match because, because just as quickly as things got tense in the match, the bell had sounded in the loudspeakers, and we had the three-minute glorious band music from last year's middle school band. We stood up from our seats and left the media center. Mike stops outside the homeroom for, a first period, for the first period. Meet me at the bus stop, and we will go to the store when we get off the bus, or at, at, or at our stop, Mike explained. First period was a blur. I was kind of tired, and tired to, I was kind of tired not to remember a thing. It was early in the morning for me, and I hated being up early. I was never an early bird type of person, or fur. I decided I proceeded to look as if I were taking notes when in reality I was simply drawing something in my notebook to kill time. I drew a favorite Pokemon character of mine. I was finishing up the drawing when the bell when when the bell to head to the second to second period finally sounded. S second period went by with no problem. English class I enjoyed. 
For me, it was this chorus or history class. I was never a fan of math at all. In English, English class, we began talking about Greek mythology and how it impacted English writing for today's society. I finished up my notes, thinking about what we were studying from Percy Jackson. The bell rang for a third period class change. I gathered my stuff and packed it, and packed it, noticing my friends in the halls and meeting up with them. Trixie and I shared the same chorus class for period three. We entered the classroom, and I sensed the teacher as she stared at me when I entered the classroom. We sat down in our assigned chairs as our chorus teacher handed out our classroom folders. I saw the same number from last year in my folder. The number 14 folder still had my, my little pony art from last year in it. Trixie peeked over and giggled a little bit. I never knew you were a brony at one point, she giggled. I tried to hide the images, embarrassed by the fact of her seeing them. Don't hide them. I think it's kind of awesome. You, my brother, and I would enjoy watching the show together at some point, Trixie explained. I let her see the images I drew back from last year. The teacher had us take an entry exam. I, of course, went first, with two other students considering we were second years. I finished, and it was placed as a bass and baritone vocal section. Trixie was next, and I could see she was really nervous. It's going to be okay. You got this. I motivated her. She finished with being placed in the alto section of the choir. As the bell rang for fourth period, our teacher pulled me aside before we left. I followed her into her office, and she had me take a seat. She sat down in her chair. <clears throat> I see you and Trixie are getting along quite well already, she began. I was shocked that she knew who Trixie was. How do you... She cut me off before I could finish. My name is Mrs. Taylor. As you already know, I am aware that you have yet to see, see her folder with her last name. Mrs. Taylor re removed the, the said folder, and on it it, sa it read Sarah Trixie Taylor. Our full names were embroidered on our middle school chorus folders, for we get to keep them when we leave school. First of all, she never told me her first name. I guess Trixie is what everyone calls her. But my mental question remains as to why. I remember Trixie getting diagnosed at the age of seven. I cried, doing so for her. I saw the future of her suffering as she did not see. That she did not see. I see part of her in you, Justin. Please make sure she stays out of trouble for, for me, would you? Mrs. Taylor had hoped. Yeah, my word, Mrs. Taylor, I assured her. I felt uneasy as to what she meant as she ushered me off to class. I don't wish to become the reason you are late for math now. In fourth period, I had my math class. Math class was not my favorite class in school because I wasn't all that great with numbers if they were not, if they were not simple. This was pre-algebra, and only the beginning of my future suffering as I felt. All I did was draw again in my notebook, not paying much attention at all. I was given some math homework on the first day. Oh, brother, my mind shouted. I hate this part of math class, too, when they issue homework on the first day of school. My homework was on fractions and decimals, of course, and of anything else. That's annoying stuff. My anxious mind would forever hate math class. Lunch hour was finally upon us. I met with everyone at the end of the line to get our food. I sat at the table bringing food from home because the cafeteria food did not sit well in my stomach at all and would get me sick from simply a bite of it. 
You'd think that me sitting... You'd think... You, you look at me thinking something was wrong with me. I opened up my bag and played some tunes on my MP3 player whilst waiting on my friends. I kept the volume low on the device so I could hear them when they came to the table. My favorite music being Nickelback, Three Days Grace, Kill Switch Engage, and Avatar. I am what many furs would consider a metalhead. Mike, Henry, Mike and Henry sat down, with us still waiting on Trixie. Mike proceeded to open his bag and reveal the mapping of the factory. These are our entry points. Door A in the west wing is guarded, while the east and northern wings of the factory are blocked off. We will enter at the southernmost part of the building, and where there should be less security and a lesser chance of getting caught. If we get caught, we get into trouble if we're trespassing for sure. Mike stopped because he saw the principal passing, pacing in the cafeteria. He ended up next to our table. Trixie came and sat down next to us. Principal Reeds peeked at Mike's paper of the factory. I was scared we had gotten caught already. Nice artwork, kiddo. He said, he said as he then smiled while proceeding with his, with his lunch duty patrol. A sigh of relief swept over all of us. Mike took a deep breath and proceeded. If an alarm were to activate, we'll need to know our way out. I'll supply colored strings to mark our entry and exit. We'll need to move quickly and act quickly to avoid the police chasing our tails, Mike quietly explained. I had a concerning feeling in my body, yet I was still excited about this. It was the first time in a long time we did something a little more thrilling. Chapter 3 We boarded our buses to head home. I was glad that I made it through the tragedy of seven long and worthless hours of the day. I followed Trixie to the bus. I looked behind me to see Mike and Henry following close behind us. We climbed on board and took our seats. I sat next to Trixie, this time in the back seat of the bus. I look out, the, I, I look out of the window of the bus and could see other students walking and biking home. There was a taller student named Jeffrey Bynes, who was on my, on my same route number. Everyone calls him Angry Jeff because he was a monster of a bully. I could tell that I was his next victim based on the way he looked at me, with those powerful, hungering eyes of torture. He proceeded to the back of the bus. Well, looky here, Brony Boy has got himself a girlfriend. How much you want to bet? She's liking them ponies too, I'm sure. He said sarcastically while making the whole bus laugh. Mike proceeded to get up from his seat promptly. He, he was bullied by Jeffrey before and couldn't stand to see me or Trixie suffer. He confronted Jeffrey, threw down his bag angrily, and had this look on his face like he was ready to murder somebody. Why don't you say that to my, me instead, pretty boy? I bet your dingo Justin Bieber behind can't even fight like a real man. Mike growled. Jeffrey stood in content, in sh content, shock, and fear for his life, and he was still acting overweening enough to say it to Mike. Mike clenched his, fit his fist tightly. He briefly looked at his fist, then looked back up with a grimace look of hatred in his face. In a quick flick of a wrist, Mike swung his fist like lightning and knocked Jeffrey to the bus floor heavily. Jeffrey got up and swung next, getting blocked by my hand. I look at Mike 
and threw a punch of my own at Jeffrey, drawing first blood in the nose. The bus driver immediately stood up from her seat to put a stop to the fight. We gave up and sat down in our seats just before she came behind Jeffrey. Jeffrey was still standing. What's the, what's, what's the matter, dingus? Too scared to continue? Figures as much coming from a brony boy, he cackled. I believe that's enough out of you, Jeffrey, said the bus driver standing right behind him. Jeffrey looked behind himself, gazing up at the towering, large-bodied lady that was our bus driver. Why don't you come sit up front with me, and we can have a nice chat ourselves. You won't want the vice principal getting involved with your behavior again now, do we? She asked. Jeffrey gave an I'll-be-back expression before finally giving in. No, ma'am, he whined. Excellent. Now, your seat, please, she directed. She proceeded to stare us down. Now, as for you two, she hollered, then leaned in close to whisper. I know Jeffrey is a bit of a jerk, but please do your best not to get violent. It only makes things worse. She winked before proceeding to drive her seat to roar up the bus engine and drive us home. Nice punch, Justin. That scuzzbag had it coming to him for years, Mike said jovially. In hindsight, he did have it coming from Mike, but unlike him, I took my chance right that second. I'm sick and tired of being bullied for, for my autism. I am more than willing to defend myself if I'm capable of doing so, if I feel I need to do so. The bus continued down our street, making that Y-shaped turn. I never knew who or how that turn was paved, but whoever did it, was, it was cool in my book. It was my favorite turn of the entire roadway. My friends and I watch intently as Jeffrey goes off the bus. He stayed, he stayed put as he flipped us, flipped us the bird and walked away from the bus stop. Part of me felt as if he, this was only the beginning. The bus continued and stopped at Kendra's house next. We lived in a large white trailer with a wide open yard. It's a lot better than being trailer trash, but I lived, I loved, I loved where I was going, where, where I was living. I've made friends and awesome memories here. Trixie's stop was next. She got off as her dad escorted her home on his golf cart. The bus continued down the street as my friends and I jokingly braced ourselves on the seats on the same side. Give me a second here. Okay. The bus continued down the street as my friends and I jokingly braced ourselves in the seats on the same side. There was a sharp right turn a few yards from the trailer park we lived in, and we loved leaning to the bus as it turned, making the turn feel like a roller coaster. We thought about Trixie the entire time. Will she be okay if we brought her with us? I asked myself, hoping to be proved she would. As our turn came up, we heaved over the we heaved over as the bus began to lean left from taking a sharp right turn. The factory sat abandoned a few blocks before before letting Mike off the bus. We bolted to the house, not, wait, not waiting anymore. We briefly waved us goodbye. He waved in a small brick he lived in a small brick house with a few vehicles parked and ran and, and ran down as his dad's truck now sits in the driveway. The bus picks up speed again to let Harry, myself, and my siblings off the bus. I was excited every time we pulled up to the trailer park, eager to go home. Rid of, rid of my homework and get my gaming on. I raced, 
I raced my siblings off the bus. I raced my siblings off the bus every time, and would be one of the first ones off. The bus driver wished us to see you tomorrow, and smiled as she closed the bus doors and drove and drove to turn around at the end of at the end of our cul-de-sac. We had a large circle ending the roadway and a small dirt road leading to a large cell phone tower. There was a larger dirt road that led from the ending circle to a high school. I immediately made my way inside, watching the bus watching the bus coming around and began to head out. Sometimes I would go watch her at the lip of at the lip of the dirt road to make a to watch her make that sharp right or left turn again. It was satisfying to watch sometimes. I would then check the mail for my mom for my mom mainly because of my Lego magazines. I love those things because I love building new things even though I'm 13. I opened the mailbox to find yet another magazine for these next two months with my name on it. I was excited to find this. I bought the rest I brought the rest of the mail to my mom inside of the trailer inside of the trailer and went to my room. Before I could head that way, my mom stopped me short. How was school today, honey? She asked, hoping to get an answer from me. I didn't I didn't wish to tell her about the fight on the bus. I didn't want her to know I was bullied. Everything was fine. Mike and I hung out at recess, and that was the best part of my day. I met this girl, Trixie, and she seems really nice. I partially lied. I picked up my backpack and went to my room and the other end of the trailer. My bedroom door didn't shut very far, considering it was an old trailer. I looked up at the ceiling, and of course our Looney Tunes light cover shines bright when I turn on the light. I sit on my bed, peeking through my magazine, and began working with my homework. After my homework was finished, I turned on my Nintendo and began playing Animal Crossing and a bit of Splatoon. I was on my island decorating my hut in Animal Crossing when I heard a knock at the door. Honey, Mike and Henry are here. They wish to hang out with you if you're done with your homework, my mom called for me. Coming, mom, I called in response to her. I turned off my Nintendo Switch and headed down to see Mike and Henry. Trixie was standing, right, standing out in the muddy and grassy driveway. I walked over to see if she was okay from earlier. Yeah, I'm alright, she said as she leaned in and kissed my cheek. Thank you for standing up for yourself. It was really brave of you, knowing you didn't have to stand up for me, Trixie said.
Chapter 4 Mike, Henry, Trixie, and I began to make our way to the abandoned factory. Mike bought us our gear as promised and organized them into bags. He also handed us a few different colored pipe cleaners you would find at a craft store. I got blue, Trixie purple, Mike green, and Henry red. We placed them into our pockets. These are to mark off your exit points in case the alarms go off, if any, Mike explained. I stuffed mine into my top pocket in my bag so I could get them later when I needed them. I zipped my pocket shut in my bag as we began our course to the factory. On our walk, we heard the sounds of dogs and children playing as well as the waterfall from a neighbor's pond. We continued walking toward the entrance. Looking at this place gave me the creeps, and goosebumps fell through my body. The front gate was locked, and we could not get in. Mike aggressively yanks on the gate to try and pry it open. We all had very little success trying to get the front gate to open, so we decided to climb the fence and over the top. I found a hole in the fence and decided that I would crawl through, crawl through to get in. I lower myself to the ground and take off my bag. I push my bag under the fence through the gaping hole and began to worm my way th under the fence while laying on my stomach. Crawling under the fence, I felt like a real, it felt like a real chore as I felt the rusted metal graze my skin. I wasn't scratched and made it out. Mike was already over the fence when I caught up to him. Well, it sure took you long enough, he sarcastically chuckled. We made it to the factory entrance. Mike stopped us and signaled to split off the other entrances. Split off to the other entrances. I, l I took the southern entrance and everyone else went to check out the others before coming my way. We all regrouped and entered the south entrance of the factory. We followed the first hallway while putting on our face masks to avoid breathing asbestos that could be lurking through the air. The last thing I wanted to do was go to the emergency room from the early stages of mesothelioma. Mike pulled out his camera, Henry used his phone, and all I could record with was my MP3 player. I pulled out a flashlight so the camera could pick up the sights a bit more than it, than it could on its own. Considering it was very dark inside the factory, even with full sunlight outside from the afternoon sun. As we made our way down to the first hall, we took, we took note of any alarm triggers that could be lurking around. We looked for motion sensors as far as we could see. We got scared thinking every tiny red light was a camera or motion sensor device. We continued to, hall, we continued to the hallway that had smaller rooms and led into a much larger room. A set of wooden double doors these doors were taped off. We found a set of wooden double doors. These doors were taped off with police and construction caution tapes, which had been slit open. The door was propped slightly open as I peek inside, my, inside the room. I pulled the door out some more to squeeze my way into the room. The right door was propped slightly open as I peek inside the room. I pulled the door out some more to squeeze my way into the room. I made it, I made it inside and my friends soon followed me in. It was hard to squeeze in due to the large pile of mess blocking the door that came off the building from years of decay. I took a look around the large room we were in. 
large mechanic arm built into the ceiling. We saw well, no, we saw a large mechanic arm built into the ceiling. I also noticed the conveyor belts that were used that were used inside the factory during the times of operation. The rusty colors are illuminated by the excessive sunlight coming through the roof. Mike noticed a, small, a glow in a small glass cabinet. The item was a small box, kind of like a cigar box. With his gloves on the, on, with his gloves on the cabinets, remo he removed the item from inside. Mike flipped it, flipped it around, hoping to find the key to unlock, unlock this box. We noticed some mystifying symbols across the side panels of the box. Mike glanced up at me. I wonder what could be inside this box, Mike curiously asked. I was a tad bit unsettled because we had just found this thing, and Lord knows where it came from. Are you sure it's safe? I asked. We found an old key taped to the bottom of the box when we heard a loud, high-low squealing sound. I was startled because it was excruciatingly loud. My ears felt like they were bleeding out of the, out of the drums as the sound echoed through the halls. It's a security alarm! Everyone, let's get out of here now! This, this cool box is definitely a keeper, though, Mike commanded as we quickly ruffled, ruffled the box into, this bag, into his bag and we bolted for the doors. We were barely able to make it back to my mother's house, hoping security would not tail us. Mike followed me inside the house and got, and got every fur in on staying the night, considering it was the weekend. Trixie, Trixie shared a room with my sisters out of courtesy and respect. We unpack our gear and go through our cameras and devices to see what we caught on film and to find out who had the video of us running for the hills out, out of the factory. I ended up being one, being the one with the footage we were looking for. We decided to post the video and photos we took online to FurTube and FurSpace. We wanted the world to see our exploration, hoping the cool box that we found in the... Oh, including the cool box that we had found inside the factory. Mike removed the mysterious box out from his bag. Little did we know that this box, or the contents that would be inside of it. Trixie enters my bedroom, wanting, wanting to talk to me alone. I follow her outside onto the back porch. A line of small trees cut off just before the woods. The sun was setting and we could see the faint colors of orange and yellow beginning to blend in with the majestic blue and purple of the twilight setting in. I look into Trixie's eyes, wondering why she had brought me out here. The bus. You didn't need to do that. Putting your life on the line with Jeffrey Bynes, I don't... She stopped herself short. I had a feeling she was still dwelling on what had happened on the school bus earlier today. She was the type who endured the pain of being bullied at school. Having the same feelings on the subject hit me harder than, than Jeffrey's punches ever did. I reached for her forepaw and lifted it with mine. There are times when we must stand up for ourselves, I reassured her. I honestly never felt better telling her this. It was indeed true after all. We continued watching the sun settle in for the night before making our way inside. I felt my heart racing as she leaned in to kiss me a second time. I closed my eyes and embraced it. <clears throat> okay, you two, knock it off before you make me and Henry throw up. We broke our embrace and looked up to see Mike poking his head out, out of the back door for of the trailer. I need you two lovebirds in here now. Your mom's getting angry, and I would also 
may have found out how to open this annoying box, Mike explained. We gave in and followed him inside, with Henry looking through the living room window facing the other side of the trailer, yet on the same side facing out toward the street. We closed the back door behind us and meet up in my room sitting down at my, mo- at my brother's bottom bunk bed. I slept on the top bunk. Mike managed to remove the key from the bottom of the box and fit it into the lock. He opened it by turning the lock and lifting its latch. <clears throat> the key had a, had a bird-like symbol across the round handle. This key was an old iron key and it started to glow red along with the box's blue from the inside. Mike dropped the box in fear. What the? He, he hollered. The box flipped itself open and sat until and sat on the on the bedroom floor. I proceeded to try and pick it up as I am sucked halfway into the box. I felt my friends quickly grab me, trying to pull me out of the box. Try as hard as they did, all their strength was not enough to combat it, and we all got pulled into the box as the lid snapped shut while locking back up. The key disappeared along with the strange box. Chapter 5 I could not see anything other than a large blue tunnel as we continued falling through the bright blue abyss and eventually brought us face to face with a garbage dumpster. Everyone fell to the ground, landing on soft dirt and grass in the, in the alleyway as I managed to plunge like a baseball, well, like a basketball into the dumpster with the lid slamming shut behind me. Mike got up as Henry had already met up with me to remove me from the dumpster. We were gathering our bearings and dusting off our clothes when we heard the sound of guns clicking and humming. Freeze! Stay where you are! A stern voice called out. Turn around with your paws in the air now! We slowly turn around to see an army dressed in a gray and black camouflage. Brown and red Doberman fur with different rank on his patch than the others. I assumed him to be the commanding officer of this unit. My paws in the air, I stood, I stood as still as possible, careful not to give him a reason to fire upon us. Everyone had their hands in the air. Who ordered the welcome party? Mike asked. A young white bunny fur emerges from the crowd of soldiers as they make room for her to get by. Commander Hayes, these boys are not a threat to us. Please have your men lower their arms, she said, looking at the army before her. Astonishing enough, the furs lower their rifles. These are the ones we're looking for, she told them while looking back at us. Please come with me, she urged us to follow. This bunny fur wore a white gown and white pearly crown decorated with jewels. Some, some were a sapphire blue, while others of a ruby red and emerald green. She had, a sea, she had sea blue eyes that resembled ice in her ambrosial bunny face. We begin to follow her. Excuse me, but where are we and who are you? Trixie asked. It's not where you are, but rather when you are. My name is Princess Donna. The officer that nearly shot you is my prime officer of the Soliana Defense Force. Soliana is a place of peace, not war, but protection from such threats is rather necessary. It is the year 2105, and as this world, others follow. 
Princess Donna explained. I'll explain more to you when we get into the castle. We proceeded to the castle with the princess. We came across a small passageway to a river where we found a small boat. We climbed into the boat and drifted, down, and drifted off down the lake as the rest of the army followed in foot. Donna, Commander Hayes, and, uh, and we sat in the boat. We were on our way to the castle to find out what's going on and why we were there. We enter our way into the city. I assumed we landed just on the outskirts because it was fully occupied by the military here. As we made our way through Soliana, I could see, I could see a large bowl on top of a larger building. This bowl contained a humongous white white candle and the same bird symbol that the key had embroidered on its on its handle back in the factory. That's our ceremonial goblet. Every five years, we celebrate what's known as the Festival of Fire. The symbol is of the phoenix. It represents the sun god Solaris, who is capable of causing what we know to be the flames of disaster. A phoenix? Flames of disaster? Solaris? All of this sounds familiar, but I can't figure out why. Justin, there is something for you at the castle grounds. I'll hand it over to you when we arrive. Commander Hayes, Commander Hayes please inform your men of, your, of our arrival. We don't need the same misunderstanding twice, Princess Donna commanded. We, ca we continued down the glowing blue river to the castle moat as the castle and the castle docks. We climbed out of the boat and onto the wooden dock. Commander Hayes tried, tied the boat down to anchor it, and we proceeded to the castle gates. The guards let us in willingly and escorted us to the main door. We were greeted by an older fur who looked a lot like Princess Donna, yet lean and more masculine build. Give me a second here. Ah, there we go. Just making sure this is the right page. That's my brother, Prince Eldona. He wore, he wore a blue and white cloak with his navy blue pinstripe suit underneath and his, brown above his, and his crown above his head. I waited for your arrival, sister. Please come in, because our father is waiting for you. Prince, El, Prince Eldona told her. We enter the castle and make our, way make our way to the throne room. We ran into her father, who introduced himself as King Julius. He seemed very glad and relieved to see us. We have long awaited the arrival of the new coming warriors for decades. Warriors? What kind of warriors? I'm not what you would call even a... I'm not what you could even call a warrior. I'm easily scared of heights. What makes this fur think for one minute I'm some kind of warrior? Oh yes. Is there a young lad by the name of Justin amongst you? He said, revealing a brown leather-bound book with twine tying it shut. I approached the king, bowing before him out of respect. That would be me, your highness. My apologies for not introducing myself or my friends. I apologize, hoping I couldn't offend, I don't offend him in any way. Not to worry, my dear boy. I have something for you that I believe to have belonged to your father. He replied as he handed me his, this brown leather book. I placed the book into my bag and hold on to it. My father was here on Soliana? He has been missing for years. Here? Seriously? How? 
My mind spins around at the thought of this. If he was here, maybe this journal could be the maybe this book could be the clue to where he is now. I must find him. Only he knows what's going on. We were escorted to our rooms for the night, after eating our fill of dinner in the mess hall. I share a room with the guys as Trixie bunked with the princess. The prince had his room just just the way just the way he preferred. Tomorrow you start your training. Please be ready so we get an early start. I'm sure Commander Hayes wouldn't mind showing you the ropes of a time warrior. Julius said jovially. You don't understand, your highness. I can't be a time warrior, could I? I knew deep down it wasn't true. I can't honestly be a time warrior. I don't even know what they are or what a time warrior does. You question your abilities, I see. I understand. Nevertheless, it is our job to ensure your training and to make sure and to, ma and to make you into the time warrior you are to become to stop Maxwell from causing unseen wars across this land. You are the chosen heir of the Time Warrior family, as your name pursues you. The Agentas are a family that fought in these wars for centuries. It's in your blood. Now, off to bed. You will need your rest for tomorrow, King Julius said as he ushered me into the room with Mike and Henry. Chapter 6 The next day I woke to the sound of silence and rushed downstairs to get my gear and head out to training. I ate the Pop-Tart in my bag and barely made it to training on time. I entered the room with a sigh of relief for not seeing Chief Hayes in the, in the classroom yet. I proceeded to silently take my seat and wait for, for instruction. I turned my back to go sit down and I hear the door open. Late for class on the first day, are we? Why am I not surprised? I squinched hearing his voice. Take your seat, and let's get started with this. I sit down on my desk seat. Commander Hayes lowers his screen lowers his screen and lets it back up, revealing a whiteboard with notes as well as some some depictions of what a time warrior is. Long ago, Helena Miller, who was the first descendant of the Agenta family, was granted the powers of all ten Arhanian time warriors. She passed these powers over to her husband, Josiah, who became the keeper of the box for 50 years. After his death, it is said that the soul bound the box, protecting it from getting into the wrong hands. The Intergalactic Secret Service was once known as the Intergalactic Union. Dr. Leah McGuire, or as his codename stands, Maxwell, is the grandson of Artemis Aguirre. Artemis Aguirre was the, was the head chairman of the Intergalactic Union and its supreme general. He killed all the other officers who opposed him and turned what was left of the Union into the Intergalactic Secret Service. Artemis could wield all ten of the Dark Keys of Arhan and use them on your grandmother, just as Jinx Umbra did many thousands of years ago, killing her as she, prote as she protected her father. Your, fa your grandfather 
Your grandfather banished Maxwell's grandfather into the abyss using the time keys, and Artemis is believed to be dead. He did so, protecting your father's life. Maxwell can wield this much power and the Dark Staff, as legend foretells. Chief Hayes lectured. I respectfully raised my hand to speak. So what happened to all the power after this banishment? That's a good question. Let's just say they were soul-bound to the little keys that the box then formed at keyholes for. Only true time warriors can use such power, but only the purest ones are capable of wielding all ten. I followed Commander Hayes into the training area to begin my training. I was led into the target area with, with racks full of bizarre-looking rifles. These are Cosmo 54 rifles, or the K-54 in short. It's a special semi-automatic fully equipped with its round laser scope and laser dot system. This rifle is capable of firing single, burst, or fully automatic rounds, holds up to 60 round clip, firing at least 45 rounds per minute. This will be your primary weapon on the battlefield, while your secondary weapon will be your time key. It is suggested that you do not lose this key, no matter what happens. Chief Hayes had finished. I grabbed my rifle off a shelf and, lear and learned how to load it. It fires platonic lasers. Be careful, he commanded. Learning to fire the rifle was the easiest part, but learning to handle such a powerful weapon was all beyond my understanding. I managed to f figure out how to properly grip this thing and hit my first target. Not bad shot, not a bad shot for a rookie, Hayes said. I follow Hayes with my rifle and set blue double and and set of blue double doors. Ugh. Behind these walls is the next phase of your training day. The door opened to reveal a fenced area with a tall, empty tower that appeared to be half-built. We approached the tower as I, made, and I was made to stand by the door in, in order to give suppressing fire for Mike, who charged the dummies inside. I suppressed the dummy at the main door and let Mike inside. Mike neutralizes all of the dummies and targets inside the tower. We were being timed as we did this. It wasn't perfect the first time, so Hayes made us go again, as Trixie watched. The second time around seemed pleasing to him, so Hayes took this, took this over, the first, over the first round. We proceeded to the last training area after heading inside. We took a ten minute break for water and snacks before heading back to the training house. There was a part of the house that didn't have any fi that had any fire alarm trigger devices. It was the perfect spot for the ne for the next training task. Inside the massive steel doors lay a room with another target area. Just before we entered the room, we entered the first small room that had ten keys hung snugly on the right mirror wall. These keys are ma are mock. These keys are mock keys made just like the real ones that the box carries. Each key has its own dimension, and therefore its own power. Collect all ten, and, your, and the time warrior within you will be unlocked. The time sword is a relic that holds and uses all these keys. It is your best ally, especially against Maxwell, Hayes told me with a reassurance. I never knew such relics existed. I told myself... I, I told myself... 
I placed the first key I saw around my neck. It was the Phoenix key we ran into earlier back at the abandoned factory. We entered the next room. This room was equipped with some kind of walls, some kind of wall, as the key room and the target, the same kind of wall as the key room and the target bar. This is the moving target bar. Please try to hit the, this instead of hitting anyone or anything else, please, Hayes commanded. I stood up in, fr- in front of the target area, with Mike and Trixie watching for this part of the training what wasn't for them. No, this one was all me. I look at Mike and Trixie standing next to Commander Hayes, watching me ever so closely. They worried I would mess this up. I turn back and face my target. I close my eyes to breathe and try doing and and try doing these weird but cool moves I saw on TV one time. Nothing happened. I tried the whole wax on and wax off thing from Karate Kid and nothing happened. You need to focus using the energy around you, Justin. Try again this time. Please note that the, that the movies are never the answer to our problems. Hayes complained. I looked back to my target and tried again. I took a deep breath, closed my eyes, relaxed my body. I relaxed my brain of all thoughts except for myself, my target, and my energy. The key began to glow, and I felt the warm, the warm metal of the key on my shirt. I, I was startled at first, but I kept my focus. I clenched my right fist and slowly opened my eyes. I then opened my fist slowly, revealing a ball of what appeared to be fire. Everyone looked at me in shock. I feel the rush of burn in my right forepaw and throw my weapon at my target, destroying it. Pieces of my wooden target flew everywhere and scattered across the room. Chapter 7 I was standing in shock as to what my friends and I just witnessed. I just wielded fire in my forepaws. What? How is this possible? Did, did the key do this to me? Part of me understands why Maxwell wants to destroy these keys himself. At least I, I now know it's a partial reason. I look at Chief Hayes as he t- is taking notes and my friends who simply were staring at me in shock. I gazed back to my disintegrated target. A large charred blast mark covers the steel mirror walls where the target once stood. I believe that's all the training we need for now. I'll tally up your totals and get them over to the princess immediately. But now, let's head back to the castle and get some rest, Hayes said. We follow him out of the castle grounds. We enter the garden leading into the main entrance when I spot the princess outside in the garden. She was with another fur who was a few inches taller than me. He was red. He was a red and gray fox with gray eyes and wore black shorts, a white shirt, and a blue jeans overall. He had on brown hiking boots and seemed, seemed to smile as they headed toward me. The princess was in her white elegant dress, pink boots, and her crown shining on her head in the sunlight. Her jewels sparkled as, I, as did her sapphire blue eyes. So, how did your training go, Justin? I'm sure you did very well, Donna assured me. 
Yeah, it did not go so bad. But I honestly don't know what to say about these keys. I explained to her. Why do these keys possess so much power? What did they mean about the purest of time warriors? Is my father truly here on Soliana, though? There are too many questions to be answered. She decided to walk with me, and this other fur followed us. Princess Donna looked at me as she looked in the direction we were going. I know how hard this is going to be for you, Justin. And it's going to be a tough road to becoming a time warrior. Just remember that the keys are here to guide you and grant you your powers. Wait, stop walking for a second. I don't understand this. Do you know where my father is Is if he is here? I asked to hope that I would be given a direct answer. You must mind your feelings, Justin. If you don't, they will for sure turn their back on you. You have much to learn, but you must experience battling Maxwell firsthand to understand any of this. Sometimes, he isn't as bright as he seems, Mrs. Donna said, as we finished our walk to the castle doors. Oh my, Justin, this here is Henry, this here is Harry. He is my servant and groundskeeper here on the castle grounds. Harry reached his forepaw out to me. Pleasure to meet you, Justin. I assume you are a Hans new, a Hans new time warrior now. It's an, it's an honor to meet you, Harry said as he shook my forepaw. Nice to meet you as well, I replied. We entered the castle, entering the common room. I could see twelve other furs who appeared to be much older than all the other furs here, and wore cloaks of different shades, each one with the same phoenix symbol embroidered on the right front of the cloak. Justin, these are the twelve chancellors of Soliana, the princess introduced me. They were in regards to Maxwell, and what I heard of they were here in regards of Maxwell, and what I heard about this his newfound protogen army. City has been invaded. We are running low on crucial resources. We must find a way out of this mess. The longer we fight, the more men we lose, I heard one of the chancellors say. Protogens are loud droids. They can easily be manufactured and replaced. Our men in, in every part of Soliana cannot. Another chancellor explained. I felt a swollen swallow in my throat. A war on Soliana already? A protogen army? How is this possible? I don't understand this at all. That's not all. Word is getting around that Ma about Maxwell working with someone to be fed intelligence information. It is unknown who and why they're doing it. The third chancellor inclined. We can't make any hasty accusations yet until we get a solid evidence first, the princess insisted. I rose from my chair and excused myself from the meeting. I head up to the bedroom where the, where the guys and I slept and proceeded to dig under my bed. I opened up the small drawer and removed, and removed the book my father had given me. Maybe Dad might have an answer for all of this in here. I opened up, I opened up the book, and found the pages of this, of his paw, of his paw writing, and images of all the strange things of Arhan and Maxwell. I read the first page. Dearest Justin, I know you haven't heard from me or seen me for years, but do know that I am always beside you in everything you, you strive to become. If you find this journal on Soliana, then it's the stepping stone to where we need to be. Meeting each other again and something so where we need to be. Meeting each other again and reuniting.
I alone cannot stop Maxwell from obtaining all ten dark keys of our Han. He is much too powerful as of right now. It is up to you and your friends to, to find all ten keys, each containing its element. This journal will guide you on how to use the keys when you find them. I sadly do not know where the other keys are located because they scatter every time. I am assuming you have found the first one in the factory and was transported to Soliana. This is the key of fire. It possesses the powers of Soliana. Each key contains the powers of its own dimension. Do not let Maxwell get, to th get the time keys from you, for if he does, he will take over our Han and destroy everything we hold dear. Maxwell is a cunning and highly intelligent sociopath. He will say and do anything to break you, including killing those you care about most and trust the most. I love you, son. Please guard these keys with your life, for you are the chosen one in our family and who who will bring balance to our Han. You are the one who can wield all ten keys and put an end to the Aguirres and their reign of terror and darkness. Let this journal guide you to me and to guide you on your journey to becoming the time warrior you are meant to become. Sincerely yours, Father. I skimmed through the pages trying to find anything on the Protogen army until I came across something that made my canine ears perk. It was a page full of information on the Protogen army and why they were originally existed. Page 21 June 1st 801st Protogen Army The 801st was a Protogen Army once created as the Grand Army for the Intergalactic Union. This unit was assigned to defend and protect the Union as well as all of the corresponding dimensions. Once Code 76 or Protogen Protocol 76 was called by Artemis Aguirre, leader of the Union, leader of the Union, and it went to the Grand Army. The leader of the Union, and it went to the Grand Army. The 801st turned on all the Time Warriors and officers in the Union, with very few surviving the, the assault. Fleeing back to Soliana, it is unknown if any of the, of the protogens still exist or have survived. So this army was the Grand Army of the Union? I never expected this to be a thing anymore after watching Star Wars as a pup. It's all too real now. It felt too real. This army is invading a nearby city as we speak, right now. I could hear the footsteps of other furs heading toward my direction. I gaze up from my dad's journal to see the princess standing in the doorway. She had a look of focus on her face as she stood next to Commander Hayes. I stand up gathering my bearings and shut my dad's journal. I have learned something that may interest you too, I say taking a deep breath. The protogen army that Maxwell has so magically acquired already is believed to be the 801st, I finished. I could sense the feeling of shock and intrigue in the princess's expression. So, what you're telling me is that Maxwell's army is the 801st, or in this case, the original Grand Army of the Intergalactic Union? Yes, and to stop this war, we need a plan. And fast, I replied.
I want to say thank you to every last one of you that came in today for part one of 2105 Benediction. We will resume part two in next episode. Thank you guys so much for listening and thank you for tuning into this read aloud. I really, really hope you enjoyed this read aloud. Let me know if you did down below. Like I said, part two will come next episode and we will finish off the book from there. I hope you guys enjoyed. Until then, I'll see you next time.